Hi, welcome to Fighting to Win, the series where we share real stories from the front lines of the environmental justice movement. We're the Center for Health, Environment, and Justice, and we support activists around the country who are fighting against toxic chemical pollution in their communities. Most of them are everyday people who discovered toxics threatening their neighborhoods and decided to create the change that they need. Here at CHEJ, we connect communities to each other. So when COVID-19 hit, we launched a webinar series to bring organizers, activists, and community leaders together despite the distance. These conversations have been rich and inspiring, and now we want to share them with you as a reminder that we are together in this fight. And not just that, but we are fighting to win. Subscribe to Fighting to Win now, wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you for being with us. Welcome, everybody. Uh, We have uh, a great, great conversation lined up for you today. We have Jillian Graber from Pennsylvania. Um, She is uh, an activist, of course, and uh, she's the uh, director of Protect PT. We're going to be talking about injection wells, and we're going to talk about um, how she decided to take action. I want to welcome Jillian. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me today. What kind of work you're doing in uh, Pennsylvania, but mostly like how you decided to first get involved in um, activism? Sure. So really similar to, I think, some of your other guests that I looked at, um, it was really uh, a necessity um, that I started getting involved in um, the, the issue of hydraulic fracturing and, and environmental issues in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, back in late 2014, uh, there were two well pads proposed. Uh, one was within a uh, half mile from my house. Mm. So just knowing kind of what that would mean as far as air pollution um, and uh, water pollution, um, you know, and, and really potential emergencies that could, that could happen uh, that would displace my family and with two young kids you know, I felt like I just had to do something. And so it just started with, um, you know, just finding some information on what was going on, thanks to the help of another organization that uh, provided that information for us, uh, Mountain Watershed Association, a really a, a stable staple in our community and, and around, um, you know, around Pennsylvania. And so um, we learned about the well pad and then we made flyers and I followed the school bus up the hill one day uh-huh. <laughs> to, to tell my neighbors about it. Because uh, I know, you know, if, if me as a mom, if I was, you know, going to be impacted and I was concerned that maybe other other, you know, parents would also be concerned. So that's kind of how we got started. And, um, you know, I remember meeting for the first time in in my living room. (laughs) And um, it was, it was, you know, kind of a a task that was kind of thrown at me. Um, You know, with the background that I had in communications, those were things that were kind of easy for me to, to, to do. And so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll volunteer my time. And, and I'll, you know, run this organization. And at the time, my daughter was three. And so I was a stay at home mom. Um, Mm -hmm. So some extra time to devote to it. 
and I worked in that capacity for about two years um, before we got our first grant um, to be able to um, put me into the executive director role and to hire an assistant. Because <laughs> at that time, it was like 60 hours a week we were working. <laughs> wow. So, so you actually founded and created an organization. So to be honest with you, you know, uh, a lot of people might get that notice and you know, would either ignore it, throw it in the trash, not know what it is. So did you have any background um, in uh, activism or environmental anything before 2014? Um, a little bit. So I had dealt with an air quality issue in my own home. And um, that was when we moved into our house, my neighbor was burning wood smoke to heat their home. And the mm -hmm. wood was coming into my home and with a young child we were you know her and I were there all day every day um and my son uh was five or six at the time and um we were noticing health impacts so you know just going through the process of trying to to deal with that situation um learning about air pollution and why those things were happening to our bodies you know what was happening to us why we were sick that really got us to realize that the our surroundings and things that happen in our environment will impact us negatively um, health wise and impact mm -hmm. our quality of life because really you know it got to the point that sometimes that we couldn't even be in our home because mm. it was it was like so polluted um and you can tell i'm just i'm still like really <laughs> yeah it, it was like a year and a half battle mm -hmm. <laughs> yet something that i see as a basic right clean air you know, in a home that we had purchased. Um, so it's, you know, going through that situation and, and, and just also going through kind of the, like learning about the Clean Air Act and learning about like what laws govern, um, you know, what was happening in my environment and, and how I could use those as tools to try to get some type of relief from my family. Um, it was, it was a process that, that really led me to understand that some of the government agencies that are set aside or, or that are supposed to protect people and the environment are not doing their job. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a really, it was kind of a big realization on my part, um, you know, kind of growing up thinking that, you know, to a certain extent, your government's going to protect you. And there are certain laws that are put in place to, to protect you, the community, to protect public health. Um, and then knowing that when those laws need to be engaged in order to, to protect somebody, they're not going to be engaged. Um, and the, the agencies really has the discretion to say, no, we don't want to do that. So. Mm -hmm. So this started with a neighbor of yours. To, so tell me about that. What, what was the circumstance? Yeah. So um, they were using a wood stove to heat their home, which you know, a lot of people do, mm -hmm. but they were doing it in a way that was, they were packing it full of wood, choking off the air. Um, it was creating so much smoke that we just couldn't escape from it. The mm. smoke was actually coming up into our home through the, through the soffit vents in our attic mm -hmm. and like filtering through our attic, filtering through our air handler, um, you know, so like our heating system. Uh, and we, when we bought the home in August, we didn't know 
that that was <laughs> that was what our our lives were going to be like every every winter every heating season um mm -hmm. so it was a, like we were you know fairly young couple at that time with two really young kids and it was startling to like find out how this air quality could really impact our lives so greatly yeah and you know i, I know you uh got emotional and I, I appreciate you sharing that with people. Um, what, like, how did that affect your kids? It, it really affected them, especially my yeah. son. Yeah. You know, I'm, um, I'm a mama bear. Yeah. <laughs> and I will, you know, fight for, fight for my kids. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward, a, you know, a few years and, you know, you get this notice in the mail, um, hydraulic fracturing like what is like how did you know what that even was yeah so actually my husband noticed it and um kind of knew right away that that was something that he needed to find out more information about um so it was definitely um a team effort between my husband and i and it was actually the week that we settled out of court with our neighbors that said that they were no longer allowed to burn no longer allowed to even have a campfire in their backyard without giving us 24 hours notice like it was a huge win right mm -hmm. finally after a year and a half battle had clean air in our home and we could know that and and have that sense of security um that same week we found out about the well pad mm. so it was like we had been through this legal battle for a year and a half and we had learned so much from that and i was really done like i was i i was fried mm -hmm. from you know from trying to figure out what discovery meant what um <laughs> what a deposition was you know why they were asking us to fill out all these forms like why they were asking us these intrusive questions about what our health impacts were and how did we know you know what doctors did we go to you know all of these things that i felt were like really intrusive and personal um, but had had a true impact on on what happened um you know because with acute sinusitis because of the wood smoke um you know obviously you're going to have all of that documented which is kind of part of what we do now with protect bt is make sure people understand that if you're being impacted by something in the environment the number one thing is to document what you're seeing what you're experiencing um, because that is all going to be used if you decide to go to court um so yeah so that's kind of you know how it happened and just getting neighbors together and um learning as much as we could as fast as we could about what the operation meant for our family in our neighborhood mm -hmm. and for people who are outside of pennsylvania or ohio or another uh another of the the lucky states i guess um that have to deal with uh fracking and wells can you explain to like explain to to folks what that really means and what that looks like. Yeah, so hydraulic fracturing, better known as fracking, is a really heavy industrial process. It's a process where um, a company will come and build a pad, um, a well pad, and that well pad can contain anywhere from five to 20 or more well, well bores. So, you know, a traditional gas well or, or water well that you'd see in someone's property would be one well, you know, one well head 
one drill, we're talking about that time, sometimes 20 or more um, on some of these mega pads. And so they drill down, um, they drill down vertically and then they drill horizontally for anywhere up to two, three miles, depending on the size or the length of the borehole. Um, and then at really, really high pressure, they take millions, 10 to 15 million gallons of water, sand and chemicals, and shove it at really high pressure down that hole to basically crack open and fracture open the rock, uh, the shale formation rock that contains all of the fossil fuel uh, natural gas. Um, and just like in the cartoons, maybe you'll see they're um, digging an oil well and it spews out. You're, it's, it, it will happen like that, but with gas, which is, you know, sometimes, you know, is odorless and, and comes up, you don't really see anything except the water and, you know, the chemicals that are coming up out of the hole when that happens, when that, you know, kind of that, that pressure is released from, from that well. So mm -hmm. a, a, just an immense amount of pressure that's being pushed down on the earth and then an immense amount of pressure that's that's of, of things that are being released from the earth. Um, and so with that chemical cocktail and water um, come up more chemicals and more salts and uh, heavy metals and radioactive material that has been underneath the earth for millions of years. And that all gets, um, you know, pushed up into the environment, something that's, you know, that you know is is thousands of feet under the ground is now on the surface. And give us an idea of the scale. So, all right. So we are in Pennsylvania. What part of Pennsylvania, by the way? We're in Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania. So mm -hmm. we are pretty close to Pittsburgh. We actually live in a really um, more of a re residential neighborhood than traditional fracking operations happen. Um, so usually these operations happen in, in a rural district or um, on farms, you know, because one of the things that the industry says is that fracking is compatible with agriculture and farming, which I would argue very strongly that it absolutely is not <laughs> um, because of the chemicals that, that you know, can be exposed um, to the animals, to the environment, to the water. Um, that that farm depends on to be able to run, um, as well as the um, just the, the the rural character of your neighborhood or your community is going to be completely changed from you know these winding you know narrow roads that that are you know back roads that are very quintessential Pennsylvania to uh, truck truck after truck hundreds of trucks per day. Uh, heavy triaxle vehicles that will be on these roads, destroying the road, um, making it so traffic can't pass. There's such an immense amount of noise, uh, and it's and it can be dangerous for the people that live along that road because mm. it's putting air pollution from diesel vehicles into the air. It's putting um, lots of noise, um, you know, and and really impacting people's quality of life. And of course, these trucks are carrying heavy equipment, sand tons of chemicals, water sometimes, and mm -hmm. then wastewater comes out. So after the fracturing process happens, wastewater is transported off of the pad 
to either be used at another facility or to be um, disposed of. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, what they call the brine, correct? Yes, brine or produced water. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different names for it. <laughs> well, in Ohio, they call it aqua salina and they actually sell it at the Home Depot, yeah. believe it or not. So they shoot up water and sand and then God knows what toxic chemicals deep into the earth's crust to crack it open, release a whole bunch of gas and wow, like what could go wrong, right? Lots and lots of things go wrong. <laughs> yeah. So the scale of it, when you said a pad um, with as many as 20 different wells, so how big is the pad? How, what are we talking about? We're talking about, you know, the whole area um, of the, the area of disturbance being anywhere from four to five acres. So we're talking a really large area. Yeah. Uh, it has to it has to house all of the tractor trailer trucks that bring all the chemicals. It has to be big enough for both drill rigs. Sometimes they have one drill rig that does the vertical and one that does the horizontal. Mm. Um, sometimes they have a drill rig that can do both. Um, it has to usually it's you know it'll have like um, a sound wall around it, a fence around it. It's a big industrial complex. Uh, smack dab in the middle of a rural or residential neighborhood. So when you're living near one of these pads, um, what, like, so what kind of chemical, like, because we always want to talk about first, like, of course, there's a bunch of reasons why you wouldn't want this, right? But in this case, we have the added element of just this radioactive material that you know, that is exposed, that endangers people, and then God knows what else that folks are, are breathing in. So do you have an idea of what, what type of chemicals um, uh, people are exposed to? Yeah, so they're exposed to known carcinogens, um, things that will cause cancer. Um, they are exposed to things like benzene, toluene, xylene, ethyl benzene, um, you know, uh, methane, propane, butane. Um, uh, I know I'm uh, all the BTEX chemicals, uh, just just a slew of nasty, nasty stuff um, because they the, the, the operation needs certain things to to operate. Um, so they need things like biocides and um, um, like bacticides that will uh, make sure that things, nasty things don't grow inside the well. Um, they think they, this is called slick water hydraulic fracturing. So it can be like oil and grease and, and different types of lubricants and, and surfactants, um, mm -hmm. detergents that um, will go down the hole. There's, there's all kinds of junk that goes down. Um, and then what comes back up is things like barium, strontium, arsenic, you know, heavy metals, just a, a slew of like just really nasty stuff that that nobody would want to drink, uh, and and people are actually being exposed to this stuff. If they have private water sources, they can get contaminated through um, the inevitable um, cracking and breaking of some of the casings that fail, um, you know, regularly. Because uh, you know, uh, explain that. So I I don't think people know what <laughs> what a casing what, is. Yeah, what that means. Yeah, so a casing is a series of, um, of cement and, and steel pipe 
And so, um, you know, steel over time corrodes. Uh, and when it's up against a tremendous amount of pressure from hydraulic fracturing, uh, we have actually have one instance in, in Pennsylvania uh, just recently in 2019 where they were drilling into the Utica shale, which is below the Marcellus. Um, and at 5,000 feet, the casing, the pipe that is supposed to protect the underground aquifers and um, all the other things that are underground that, that um, could be disturbed as a result of them fracturing and, and putting all this junk down the hole, um, it broke uh, because of the pressure, because of the chemicals. Um, it caused uh, the pipe to actually be so brittle that it cracked. Um, and what, what resulted was nine conventional wells that were a mile in southwest to northeast direction they had to flare these nine wells in order to get this pressure under control so it didn't mm. so compared to a situation where you know your neighbors burning wood to now a situation where some company is putting up these wells like like how do you how do you fight them yeah so something that i learned with the whole wood smoke issue was that um our government agencies are not going to protect us mm. <laughs> So we have to dig into those files. We have to dig into the operations that are proposed and look to see what those documents say and look to see what the operations really are about. And we can do that through uh, what's called in, in Pennsylvania, you can either do an informal file review request or a right to know request, basically a a public information request to get the information. It's also sometimes available online. And so you can see what's gonna go on the pad. Um, you can see uh, how many wells they have planned. Sometimes you can see the scale of operation and you gather all this information. You also gather your supporters. So other people that live in the area that maybe are also concerned about it and you can participate at local hearings uh, and that participation allows you to question the oil and gas company to find out exactly what their operations are going to entail, because not everything is going to be included in the plan and not everything is going to be really cut and dry. Um, and a lot of times they have plans to do certain things and they don't want the local community to know about it because they don't want the local community to know the scale of the operation. They don't want them to know where they're getting their water from. They don't want to, them to know where their waste is going, how, the, how many truck trips they might have. Um, really the true impacts the community are, try, are, are hidden as much as possible. So really it's kind of like an investigation to try to find all of that information and then try to uncover that information and persuade the local government to, to not accept the well pad because it's gonna be a detriment to the community. Um, in our case, we did that uh, back in 2015. Mm -hmm. There were, so first it was two well pads and it was four, then it was seven and now it's 12 that are actually proposed for, for Penn Township. And so what we did is we started to participate at the local level after gathering all our information. And we uh, had three denials of three well pads, one after another. Nice. And he was shocked. 
like their jaws hit the floor because <laughs> they That's were not amazing. Expecting, they just like weren't expecting the resistance they weren't expecting us to know what we were doing they weren't expecting us to be prepared and have an attorney that knew what they were doing and uh they were denied but then um the industry turned around and sued the township for 380 million dollars in federal court so <laughs> what municipality is going to have 380 million dollars to fight an industry and so the industry was able to pressure the municipality to essentially approve everything without the thorough review that it required oh my god and what was the basis of that lawsuit so they said that their and get this their constitutional rights were being violated um because they did not have the right to develop the mineral rights for the property that they had the mineral rights for. Um, yet in Pennsylvania, I want to point out that we have a wonderful constitutional amendment called the Green Amendment, Article 1, Section 27, that gives us as Pennsylvanians the right to clean air and pure water um, and the aesthetic, natural, historic, scenic um, environment around us. And it even says in there for generations yet to come that constitutional amendment is being violated every single day by the fracking industry in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So the when you say the industry, is it like one or two big companies? Is it a bunch of small ones? How does that work? It's both. I mean, it's some big companies like Range Resources, Cabot, um, but it's also little guys. Um, like one of the ones that we have here is Apex Energy. They're really small. Um, and we also have Olympus Energy was formerly known as uh, Huntley and Huntley, um, mm -hmm. which actually is an offshoot of range. <laughs> they all know each other. They're all, um, you know, they're all connected in some way. A lot of sure. times are the same workers um, that go from one company to another. Mm -hmm. um, so they own the land and they're saying do they or and then they say they sued the the state of pennsylvania for the rights to develop their the land that they own how does that work so they sued they didn't sue the state of pennsylvania they sued uh well they do that sometimes but they in this case they sued the municipality uh and it wasn't they don't necessarily own the right like they don't necessarily own the land mm. In Pennsylvania, so, um, back in the day when there's a lot of mining, especially in southwestern PA, which mm -hmm. uh, we have a legacy of mining, uh, someone thought it was a great idea to cut, sever the ties between the surface rights and the mineral rights underneath the earth. Okay. Would allow mining companies to be able to mine for minerals and mine underneath people's homes. Um, and we know that mining, you know, created mine subsidence. There's lots of mine subsidence issues in, in Pennsylvania. There's also increase of radon in Pennsylvania. There's, um, you know, mine drainage uh, that, that it goes into creeks and streams in Pennsylvania um, that have been polluted and will be polluted for really the, the rest of, you know, their existence. Yeah. Um, and we're letting that do we're letting that happen over and over again with fracking because you know those same mineral rights and the gas rights underneath the property um, are what the companies are using. A lot of times they'll buy up little pieces here and there uh, in one you know big fell swoop, and um, that's how they get their because they have to get all the property rights for the miles of lateral that they're going to drill underneath the earth. Um, 
So they buy all of that up. Um, usually it's owned by another company um, and they, they buy that up and then they have the right to drill. To give people an idea of the scale. So, you know, you say, um, you know, you're able to, to def defeat some of these wells and then the industry comes back. And so how many wells are there approximately in uh, the state of Pennsylvania? Do you know, does anybody know? One of the numbers that I saw was 130,000. It might be over 150,000 at this point. 150,000 different wells just in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Oh my God. And that's just the, that, that's just the fracturing wells. That's just the, the unconventional, they like to call it. There are also hundreds of conventional wells. Mm. If somebody is um, gets a notice, right, that the like one of these things is being planned for their community, you know, I think a lot of people would say, Jillian, like, you know, oh God, you know, this is there's nothing we can do about this, right? Or it's sort of a let's just ignore it, or you know. Maybe it's easy sometimes to just kind of, you know, put your head in the sand and um, no pun intended, obviously, and just say, you know what, like, it, it's going to be fine, right? But you clearly made a different choice. So what do you think it is about you that made you go a different way? <laughs> um, stubbornness. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's part of it. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I have this personality that I don't give up. <laughs> and I think that um, the oil and gas industry is starting to recognize that. Uh, at first, they thought we were just like little ants they could squish and, and mm -hmm. they, they could say whatever they wanted to say and they could do whatever they wanted to do and nobody was going to oppose them. But six years later, uh, I think they understand that I will take them to court if they uh, are not going to follow the law. And I will hold the DEP accountable if they do not uphold our rights. And <laughs> it's a necessity. I mean, someone has to do it, right? If, because if we don't do it, then, uh, and we see this all the time. We see where people have buried their head in the sand. And by the time they call us for help, you know, it's like, well, you know, that first letter that came out that said, oh, by the way, we're gonna ask you if you have a private water well or not. That's mm -hmm. kind of sometimes the first indication that, okay, well, wait, why are they asking me if I have a private water well? Why are they asking me to do this survey? Um, sometimes the letter will say, sometimes it won't. Um, and so you have to question that. And then you have to question, well, if they're telling me, or maybe I have a private water well, and why are they asking that? Is it because it could potentially be contaminated by their activity that they're planning? And the answer is absolutely yes. You, you can't bury your head in the sand. It's, it's not an option if you want to maintain the integrity of your community and you want to maintain your property rights. Even if it was a person, like let's take, let's put aside, you know, the interests of large multinational corporations, um, just a person who happens to, you know, live on top of, you know, uh, 
uh, a stash of natural gas, right? They might say, okay, well, it's my right to develop that. Well, what if developing that kills hundreds of people around them? Do they still have a right to develop that? That's a great question. And I think it's a really fair question to raise. Yeah, you have to evaluate um, the risk versus the reward, which a lot of times municipalities fail to do. And you have to understand that the people's the people that bought the property next to you, your neighbors, have the similar similarly to you have what's called an invest uh, investment backed expectation that their property won't change, that they have invested their their money and their you know their time and 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 their you know their lives and and sometimes in their property sometimes it's generations, you know of families that own property and have these wonderful natural resources um, like, like private water and are able to drink that water. Uh, and if that's taken away, that's, that's, a huge, that's a huge blow to the person, to um, the property that they own, uh, because if their water well is contaminated, their, water, their, their property has no value anymore. Uh, and even if, if you decide you want a, a, put a well pad on your property, Mm -hmm. you, better, you better check your insurance first. You better check <laughs> before you sign a lease. You better check to make sure that you're not you're not in violation of your mortgage contract. You're not in mm. violation of your insurance contract, mm. because essentially by 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 selling off a piece of your property, you're selling away your rights. And um, that's not to say that you don't have rights, but the oil and gas companies will make you sign things to say. I don't want you talking about what's going on in the property. Mm. I don't, and, and we're going to pay you off. And by paying you off, you have to shut up and you can't sue us. Mm -hmm. And that happens a lot in, in Pennsylvania. And I'm sure it happens other places as well. That's the deal with the devil, right? Yeah. Do you have any idea how much money uh, people are paid to, um, like, I don't know, if I owned a house and you know, some company wanted to put a well in my backyard. How much money can I get for that? What's my soul worth at that point? It varies company to company. I mean, okay. uh, and a lot of times residents will actually get together with their neighbors and try to, to strike a deal that benefits everybody. Mm -hmm. um, we've have had incidents of that happen where there's like a loan holdout and, you know, um, in the rare occasion, you know, where a housing plan actually owns their own mineral rights, which is rare, mm -hmm. usually when the, when, the, um, when the developer buys the land and they go to sell it off piece by piece to, you know, for new housing, they, um, they keep those mineral rights and they sell, they sell the, the property, the surface rights to the property. Um, and so in the rare case that people actually have the power because they own their own rights, Mm -hmm. uh, it's they they can negotiate better deals um so it really varies i mean but in my opinion no amount of money is worth it because you know you there there are instances in pennsylvania where companies have actually billed uh the leaseholder for some of the operational costs that weren't covered by lack of production what <laughs> 
there are lots of stories of this in Pennsylvania where they're actually um, some leaseholders are getting billed for yeah it's 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 kind of bananas. Wait, 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 wait. No, let's go back. So some of these people who made this deal with the devil, right? They uh, think that they're going to get paid and then the company sues them? Not sues them. They they bill them. They bill the, them? Yep. For the expenses. Yeah. And there have been lawsuits um, for that. Uh, oh, my God. So, I mean... You know, when, when I say when someone comes to us and says, you know, what should I do? Sh you know, should I sign a lease? So obviously we prefer people to not sign a lease because if they don't, then they can't extract. Mm -hmm. uh, and by signing the lease, you're <clears throat> exposing your neighbors to unwanted impacts. Yeah. But, but really talk to a lawyer before you sign anything um, because it's, it's, you know, you could be putting your your property in jeopardy you could be putting um you're certainly putting your neighbor's property in jeopardy no matter how much money you make it, it's mm -hmm. not worth it um, so yeah so judy thank you for your question i see in the chat here um and the question that's in my mind too right is first of all how is this allowed in a civilized country <laughs> like let's let can we zoom out right like let's zoom out of the municipality let's even zoom out of pennsylvania um and and think about just our country like why is this allowed like if we said tomorrow if we wanted to ban fracking in the united states of america what's standing in our way jillian so why haven't we done this already we haven't done it because there are lobbyists every single day that are paying off our elected officials. That's okay. That's, that's the short answer. <laughs> All right. Thank you. So that's, that's exactly. Um, so it's not about making the right arguments, right? It's not about convincing people or it's not about scientific data. But if you look, if you look historically um, back around the world and um, looking at extraction, mm -hmm. whether for minerals, whether it be for gold, whether it be for oil and gas, you'll find that the folks that actually that that are in those extractive areas are not the ones that are benefiting. You'll find that there's a lot of disproportion of um, wealth and of quality of life for the folks that live around these extractive areas. There, there's a great book. Um, called Amity and Prosperity okay. by um, Eliza Griswold. And um, last year we actually had a conversation with her mm. uh, and that's on, that, that's on our, our YouTube and on our, our um, website. But one of the things that she says in her book, which is so true, is just how much, you know, the communities that are, um, that are in extractive areas are exploited. And it's a worldwide exploita exploitation. Mm -hmm. all you see it all over the globe mm -hmm. so it it's it's a lot of times the people that have the most amount of power are going to use that power to make money and to get what they want um and that's that's exactly why it's allowed to happen all the way up to the highest offices in our you know in our democracy mm -hmm. um, so that's something that people need to think about when they go to vote um and to judy's question 
uh, what power and control do municipalities have for permitting? Um, in the state of Pennsylvania, there is a, a law called um, the Municipal Planning Code or MPC. And that tells municipalities that they must allow for oil and gas extraction. They cannot exclude oil and gas extraction from their municipality. They cannot ban it, although some have, uh, and those just haven't, those, those things haven't been, been challenged in court yet. There is only so much a municipality can do, but I think municipalities need to realize that they do have more power than they think, because when our municipality denied those well pads, and when they got hit with that $380 million lawsuit, had it gone to court, they would have won. Instead, they made, made a deal to try to mm -hmm. save money. Mm -hmm. And that deal led to the destruction of our community. I know that it's it's emotional for you, and I think it's emotional for a lot of folks who understand what it feels like to be to not have power in a situation. Um, and, and it's a it's a cowardly act to even be thinking like, okay, we're pitting a municipality that really has no money. Like you're talking about an average town or a county in um, a post-industrial state, right? Like Pennsylvania and Ohio, by the way, and, and other states where a lot of people need money and, and folks are desperate and folks are out of work. And this being the only way that that can happen, there is really no chance for a municipality to be able to fight that off. Like that needs to be a much, we need to, you know, the, the scales are so lopsided in favor of the industry. So what say your representatives in uh, Congress right now? So tell us like, so who are your senators? Who are your Congress people? Is there any, um, are there any opportunities there that we can look at for campaigns? Um, so, uh, that's, that's unfortunately not something that is, is really going to take us very far. Um, mm -hmm. there are some really good senators in Pennsylvania that have actually, that, that recently wrote a letter, um, to the governor and, uh, basically talking about how Pennsylvanians are being impacted so dramatically from fracking. And, and last year, the attorney general of Pennsylvania put out a report uh, from a grand jury that was convened uh, that really examined the impacts to Pennsylvanians from fracking. Mm. And uh, they're proposing legislation to uh, increase things like protective setbacks. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, it's basically the distance between where the well pad is and where a home is or a school is. Um, the problem with these setbacks uh, is that they can be waived. Um, so a landowner can say, you know, it's okay, I want that well pad closer to my home and I own the property so I can put it closer to this stream. I can put it closer to, um, you know, to, to all these different, you know, maybe, 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 the, maybe the school actually leased in, in some cases that happens. The school leases their property for money 
And then the well pad is smack dab behind the, the elementary school um, where kids are, kids are going to school and playing every day. That's out outrageous. There. You know, we can contact our senators. Our senators are um, really very pro industry. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, they're, they're getting um, lobbied and um, yeah, they're getting paid. They're getting paid. Yep. And uh, even our governor, you know, we have a democratic governor and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've had folks look into the financials and he's getting paid too. It might not Mm -hmm. be through, you know, from X, Y, or Z company, but in a roundabout way, there are lawyers that are paying him from companies, you know, the the law firms that support oil and gas. So, um, you know, and, and he has really turned a blind eye to all of the destruction and all of the, the degradation of people's property and their rights. Uh, and he's not gonna do anything about it. Um, and that's really unfortunate that, that we have a governor that is such a coward. Yeah, and, and so all we're asking of them is for them to have a fraction of the courage that the people who are living next to these wells demonstrate and people like you. How can we support you, uh, Jillian? How can we support your work? What is your organization's site? Give us all the information. Yeah, so um, our organization site is protectpt.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, and PT stands for Penn Traffic, which is our school district, um, not just Penn Township, where we are. And uh, we, we work in Allegheny and Westmoreland County. Um, we give resources to the community, education and advocacy. We've got tons of great content on our YouTube channel as well as our website. So people can go and learn everything there is to know about injection wells and you know what, what the landfills are doing. The landfills are accepting the waste and that waste is turning into leachate, which is like the percolation of rainwater through, through, uh, through the the sanitary landfill and that waste is is radioactive and, and highly toxic although mm. our, um, it's not classified as as radioactive and toxic by um, certain laws federal and state laws so you know there are some wonderful senators and representative senator katie muth and representative sarah Enamorado are leading leading a charge to close the waste loophole in pennsylvania to classify the waste for what it is, which is uh, radioactive and toxic. Um, We've got lots of actions people can take right from our page. Um, We do stuff for not only Pennsylvania, but we actually have an Ohio action as well because we team up with other organizations um, and and do stuff uh, to try to get folks to take action on on things. Um, So yeah, so visit our website. Uh, We're a nonprofit, so you can donate. I guess, I guess that's, that's it. Um, no, let's do this. There is no possible reason that, you know, when, when we're talking about, wow, like, how do we come out of this, you know, how do we come out of the pandemic? How do we, quote unquote, build back better? And, and uh, you know, we have a new government and I think there's a lot of new hope. And I think we need to keep raising the expectation that, this cannot happen in a civilized society that expects to, uh, you know, to leave anything for our kids and our grandkids. Like, how can we be shooting up a cocktail of toxic chemicals into the earth and then take that radioactive waste that comes back up and be dumping it back into the ground somewhere else? I mean, it's outrageous. It just, if aliens came down, how are we going to explain that to them? 
<laughs> they're gonna think we're bonkers um, <laughs> <laughs> i mean we're destroying our planet for you know for, for resources that we could use you know we could we can use the sun the sun is the sun is free and it, and it shines above our head every single day, even in Pittsburgh, um, where it rains a lot. Um, I have solar panels on my roof and they make a heck of a lot of electricity for, for me and my family. Um, so, and, and there's wind power that we need to harness and we need to harness geothermal to heat our homes instead of natural gas. There's all kinds of alternatives, hydropower, there's all kinds of stuff we could do um, that would make a ton of sense. Um, and that would be so much less detrimental to our environment and, and, and to our communities. So um, we need to not be afraid to, to embrace that change. That's right. And if you could say anything to somebody who is maybe for the first time just, you know, getting a notice in the mail or faced with a decision whether to take something like this on or not, what would you say to them? I would say do your research first and listen to the people that have been through it um, because you can learn from their experiences. <laughs> um, and so we, we try to actually do that with um, some of our educational programs. We have uh, actually one of the first um, grants that we received from, from the small grant program from CHED. We developed what's called our home resource guide. Mm -hmm. It's a guide that people can have on their shelves in their home. It's a three ring binder full of tons of resources from complaint and compliance with state and local laws to emergency evacuation plans to air and water pollution and noise pollution. And we put all the resources that we have gathered over the last six years into one binder and give them out to people uh, in order to, uh, and have workshops online in order to educate folks about what they're gonna be facing and how they can fight it. Amazing. Well, uh, Jillian, I can't thank you enough for spending this time with us. Uh, again, uh, Jillian's organization is Protect PT. So look them up, support them in any way that you can. Thank you for listening to Fighting to Win. To learn more about the Center for Health, Environment, and Justice in the communities we're working with, visit www.chej.org. Subscribe to Fighting to Win wherever you listen to podcasts and stay tuned for new episodes.